You are now listening to the Funkaholics Podcast. Happy Cinco de Mayo to, or weekend, to all the Funkaholics out there. I know, guys, it's been a while since we've been on air. And uh, I'm sorry, life just hits us with things. But speaking of life hitting us with things... Um, I was blessed at the Albuquerque Comic Con, and it is just bringing us more blessings because I actually got to sit down and have a few moments with an indie wrestler. For all of you fans out there, all you wrestling fans that truly know the art of wrestling, you know this guy as Keith Fitzpatrick. Before I bring him on to the show, I want to just give you a couple of things about him that he's going to be talking to us about today. Um, one thing I do know is he's a Sergeant Slaughter fan. I was able to hook him up with a Funko that uh, that got us talking. And here we are today. Um, we're going to talk about the things that he's experienced, uh, some some wrestling matches, what it's like to build a ring, tear down a ring, uh, some crazy fans. Guys, Lee has got stories to tell and the funkaholics want to hear them so without further ado i am going to bring in mr Mr. keith fitzpatrick Fitzpatrick. lee welcome to the funkaholics podcast hey thanks nando it's a pleasure to be here man this is a bit a bit of a different from i usually host a hockey podcast um i'm usually the one asking the questions so being asked the questions is going to be a little bit of a nice uh change of pace for me for a change Oh, dude, you're going to be in the penalty box, man, so we got time to talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so how are you, Lee? How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing great, man. It's been it's been a while, you know. It was back in January we met, and it's like every every time we, we, we'd want to record, something would happen where I was busy or you were busy, and it's like and if I, the, the, the past, uh, the stars finally aligned where we can get this done and, you know, and get this out there. Oh, man, it's like you're in my head. You literally took everything that I was going to say right out of there and put it out there for us. So (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, Lee, I am super excited to have you on the show, and I can't thank you enough for just giving us your time. But one thing that we do over here at the Funkaholics podcast is we cheers. So I hope you've got whatever beverage you have with you, but I'm going to raise my glass to you. And I'm going to cheers you for th- for coming on, uh, being a being a special guest, and uh, to another great episode. So thank you, Lee. Yes, cheers. All right, Lee. I heard a big gulp there, man. What you drinking, bud? <laughs> I got some of that chocolate pinon coffee. That shit's amazing. Ooh, man! I am jealous right now. I'll tell you that. I do love me some coffee, and I'm sitting over here with a diet coke right now. So I'm behaving. <laughs> Yeah, you, usually usually I drink a beer while recording a podcast, but it's a little bit early for that. Exactly. Yeah, I'm re- I'm recovering a little bit from the Canelo fight last night and Cody and Brock Lesnar. So, oh jeez, uh, yeah, I'm shaking.
turning it off right now. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: getting to see some color on the screen for a change, and then not stopping the match. That was a nice nice change of pace. Exactly. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Ah, <laughs> uh, so so Lee. Let's uh since we you know since we got time you're in the penalty box you know we're going to we're going to ask you some questions so let me ask you where where did it all start for you with wrestling Oh my god it was back mid 80s I guess maybe right around probably WrestleMania 2 is when I really got got into wrestling and you know really started you know my fandom about that time and and it grew you know it's like i was a huge bushwhackers and george the animal steel you know uh that's why i was kind of sad when butch from the bushwhackers died because that was one of the the things that me and my grandfather bonded over was he loved the bushwhackers anytime they'd go they'd come out me and him would march around the living room doing the the, the arm pumps and then <laughs> you know lit, licking the, and then uh, one year I grew up in New Jersey and then one year at Hershey Park uh, Arena, bushwhackers came out. They licked me. I got to rub their heads and I was on cloud nine. <laughs> that you know. It, oh man. Yeah. So I, I love. I've always loved wrestling ever since I you know I was probably, gosh seven eight years old about that time wrestlemania too so it's been a long it's been about a 40 40 years almost i've been a i've been a huge wrestling fan and and some of the stuff i've got to do what if you would have told the seven or eight year old me that i was going to get to do some of the things and meet and wrestle a couple of the guys that i got to wrestle and meet i i wouldn't have believed i'd have called you a liar <laughs> That is amazing, man. The 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 moment that you brought up the Bushwhackers and everything, I like I I was a huge fan of the Bushwhackers back in the day too. Talking about total entertainers, I mean these dudes, you know they 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 catch your eye just by the way that they walk in. The music, it's it's right in your ear. I can literally hear it right now as you're talking about them. Um, yeah. And then the stuff that these guys would do, I mean, you know, the, the hugging, the headlocks, the, you know, the licking, you know, all these different things. I mean, these guys were just, they were, they were next level at a time where uh, WWE was finding itself and, you know, getting to that upper, that upper echelon, you know what I mean? Of what we know today. So, I mean, talking about people that paved the road for what we love, you know? Yeah, well, I think, and it shows too with those two guys how how good they actually were because a lot of people only know them as the bushwhackers, but if you go look up, they were the sheep herders, and they were one of the most violent tag teams in history, and then they turned it around the WWE and became one of the funniest tag teams in history. For them to be able to make that complete. 180 flip and make them both successful i think it actually shows how good they are you know how good they were yeah talking yeah, about, talking about I, I remember hearing one of those stories i think it was on busted open bully ray was talking about it and uh and i couldn't believe that you know that that they went from extreme to comedy you know what i mean and they totally nailed it because i mean there was a lot of promos that they cut you know just watching you know wwe in the good old days um 
there was so many good, there was so many great things and so many comedic moments that they had um, on the shows. So that's uh, it's funny that you bring them up. But Lee, talk to me. So so they you you fell in love with wrestling. Uh, you know, a, a bushwhacker licked you and you you caught the itch. When yeah. did when did you start? feeling like this could become something that you could actually become a wrestler. When did, when did that start? I'd always wanted to do it. And, you know, me and my friends and my brother, we would do, you know, we did the whole backyard stuff. You know, it's amazing that nobody was killed. Some of the shit that we did, but then probably about, uh, maybe 2000, 2001, I found a, it was just a little local wrestling company. I, I don't even remember the name of them. You know, they were like, Hey, we'll train you for this. And I was like, dude, I said, you know, I don't have any, any money. I was like, I'll do whatever it takes to do this. And the guy's like, well, if you don't, don't pay us, you don't get paid when you work until you pay off your training. I'm like, that's fine with me. I want to do it. So I got in and then this just tells you how shady they were. I probably trained for, maybe two weeks. Then they said, Hey, we need you for, we need you to work the show. Somebody, somebody canceled on us. So I go out there and my first match, like I said, I had two weeks training. I knew how to bump and I knew how to throw a punch. That was about it. And got my ass kicked for, you know, just to show you probably four or five months, every match I had, I got my ass kicked and started getting better. And, and then, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit be another story was there was a there was a legends tour coming through town and our company was chosen to give the uh basically provide the jobbers to the legends you're kidding you're kidding no i i had almost no training and then this legends tour comes in and i hurt my shoulder probably a week before the show i was supposed to be one of the jobbers <laughs> and then i go walking in the locker room this is one of the stories i told you at comic-con i go walking in the locker room and the iron sheik takes one look at me because i'm at this time i was probably five nine three hundred pounds i was i'm i'm still a big guy and he looks he looks at me and just you know as only the iron sheik could look at you so oh you're the big motherfucker i i kick your ass tonight <laughs> so i'm just sitting there like uh i hurt my shoulder sir i'm i can't work he's like i'd form a wwf champion i'd not hurt you <laughs> so i was like yes sir yes sir whatever you say and he's like you i'd give you five minutes you make shiki look good and i kick your ass <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's like everything's yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, right. I'm not stupid. And then he says, you know, you know, camel clutch. I put you in camel clutch. You'd have two options. You scream like little bitch or I make you scream like little bitch. <laughs> so you, you can, you can guess what I did. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, I got it, you, you built a clear picture for us right there. So I mean, he I'm, was I'm, the, I'm guessing you sold the shit out of it, right? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I'm screaming like the biggest bitch you ever met. 
but, oh man, that is too funny. And the best part of best part about him is he, you know, I I love that man. I I'll probably never see him again. But I was getting paid maybe two hundred bucks for that show. Which for me, you know, that's the most, that's the most I'd ever made wrestling. Yeah. yeah I'm usually making, you know, five bucks and a hot dog, you know? And so I go back there and she's like, how, how much do they pay you? That sounds a couple hundred bucks. Oh, the bullshit. You'd make Sheik look good here. And he pulls out a freaking wad of cash and gives me 500 bucks. Oh man. What a guy. That is awesome. I mean, the, some of the other people on the show, there was when Wendy Richter was there, sweet lady, you know, very nice to everybody. Greg the Hammer Valentine, uh, Cowboy Bob Wharton, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker, uh, I think Don Morocco was there, the Honky Tonk Man, <laughs> and I, the only the only one that I will not praise is the honky tonk man. He was the biggest asshole to everybody. Every, all the, all of us, us work, your jobbers there to make him look good. He was a dick to everybody. And all, all these other legends are going out there. $5 for a, for a eight by 10, you know, autograph. And he's out there, you know, 25, 30 bucks. And he's trying, can't understand why, nobody's coming to get his autograph. I'm like, dude, they're not going to spend 30 bucks to get your autograph when they can get six autographs from some of these other guys for the same thing. Right. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to hear. And even the iron Sheik cheek turns to him. He said, he said, Baba, that's why nobody like you. You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't lying. I've heard a lot of stories about honky tonk man and all of his bullshit. Like even to this day, like, Mm -hmm. There's still stories that come out about him. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he would always throw out, he says, well, I was the longest reigning intercontinental champion of all time. <laughs> and the Iron Sheik says, I was WWF champion, showed that Madison Square Garden, you ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not forget, he was, uh, he was in the record books for losing the intercontinental title in a match very quickly to the Ultimate Warriors. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, that's a memory exactly. that I'll always love. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Oh uh, man, what yeah. was uh, what was Greg the Hammer Valentine like? I heard a recent story about him between uh, Matt Cardona, which is Zack Ryder, in, in you know when he used to be with WWE. But uh, he was telling a story about working on getting an autograph or like a Hasbro that never existed and. You know, this couldn't he couldn't believe it, but apparently Greg the Hammer Valentine like cornered him at uh at WrestleCon and uh and there was some words exchanged, but I I, I always wanted to hear a story about Greg. Do you do you have any of him? Not I mean he was just nice. He was he was you know he wasn't a jerk. Uh, I mean we're we're sitting there getting ready and and he's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. Where's the bathroom? And we're like there's, I'm sure there's one back here somewhere. I don't know. I saw one walking in and he goes walking out into the concourse where all the fans are to go use the restroom. Oh, and, and I'm like, We're, dude, he's going to, he's going to be, he's going to get swamped. And I'm we're sitting there. I'll issue back a couple minutes. It's probably been 10, 15 minutes. Like, where the hell is he? I go out, I go out in the concourse and he's surrounded by fans. I mean, this guy's just going to take a piss. 
I was like, I hope he washed his hands. But he's he's sitting there, you know, signing autographs to all these fans just in the middle of the concourse. You know, the guy goes out there to go to the to, you know, to take a piss and get swamped by fans. And I'm like, I thought that was pretty cool that you know he didn't turn them away. He he signed all the all their tickets and stuff. You know, you know he wasn't wasn't charging them. It's like they're just coming up to him because they saw him. So I mean, he seemed to me just my you know my couple hours dealing with him. You know, I had I had no negative reaction to him or anything very cool very cool i i I grew up like watching wrestling and everything and right now oh man i'm like a uh i'm like a moth to a flame right now lee i am digging all these all these stories and everything and i call it locker room talk you know what i mean because it's like the stuff that the guys always talk about you know that nobody else gets to hear about or whatever but Walk us through, you know, we know the term jobber and what, what was it, what was it like when you, when you arrived to the show? Like what, what did they, what did they have you doing? Like it was like, Hey man, grab a wrench, you know, let's start building this ring or, you know, walk us through the, the day of an actual live event that you guys were, that you guys were working yeah, I mean it depended. Some some of the guys that came from out of town, obviously, you know, they're they're showing up, you know, right before the fans come in or whatever, you know. But me being their local, you know, the the last company I worked for, you know, I was friends with you know with the owner at the time, so you know, we'd have a you know somebody a guy that hauled the ring to the arena. You know, so we'd all get there, you know, as, as a, at that time I was a referee. Well, as a referee, you're, you had, you're setting up the ring no matter what. It's the referees and the rookies. So it probably takes, uh, I think, I think we got it through. We could set the ring up in an hour, hour and a half with, you know, four or five of us. And it's, you know, it's not like the WWE rings, which are nice and soft. You know, these, a lot of these independent rings are not very giving and it's basically just, you know, the, the frame is metal and you basically lay boards across the metal and that's the, 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 the floor of the ring. And then you put a, a foam pad that's maybe an inch or two thick, maybe an inch thick over the boards to give it some cushion so the, the boards are what makes the sound when you take the bump, you know, that little slap, that little slap sound. Then you just put a, put a canvas over it. And it's amazing that nobody got staff infection because they don't, they do not wash that mat. You don't wash the canvas that, you know, all the, any blood that gets dripped on it. Well, next week, it's still going to be there. It's just going to be dried up blood, you know? So then, then the ropes, the ropes are just, you know, like WWE uses actual rope, but everybody else is just a steel cable wrapped with uh, like electrical tape or something. And then you just tighten up the turnbuckle to get the ropes, how loose or tight that you want them. And it, it takes it's about an hour, hour and a half to to fully set up the ring. And the hard ones are the outdoor shows because you're usually doing it on dirt and trying to find the right spot outdoors where the ring is level can sometimes be, you know, that can take time because you have to set up the ring 
And then you got to get five and six guys to move the ring to make sure it gets flat and level. So that, that can be a, a task in itself, getting it level. But if you're indoors inside a building, you just set the ring up where you want it and make sure it's a perfect square because you can actually manipulate the ring and then fuck it all up if you're not careful. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Uh, did they like, so once you guys were done and stuff like that, I mean, did they have like a guy that would come through and inspect or, you know, say like, all right, everything's, everything's up to code or was it just like, all right, it looks good. Let's rock and roll. Let's get this show going. Yeah, we, we'd set it up and then, you know, we'd, we'd hit the roads to take bumps to, you know, the booker would get in there cause you know, he's the boss, you know, he'd get in there and, and inspect everything, make sure, you know, Hey, you, Hey, the, the, the top ropes a little, you know, the ropes a little loose. Let's tighten this rope up. Let's tighten this bottom rope up, you know, make sure they're not too loose or too tight, you know? And then I so say, we'd get in there, we'd take, you know, you, you'd, you'd have to walk over it too, to make sure none of the boards are sticking up in the middle that can, you know, screw up your back. And then, then you they they'd get in there. You know, we're usually setting the ring up. You know, an hour, two hours before they let fans in. So we'd set it up. They'd do a little training session with the guys that are training. If they have anybody training, you know, then you know, some guys would literally get in there and work out their match for the night. And personally, that I hate watching guys work out their match. I'm like, I I always like you. Know, I'm one of the ones that would rather call it in the ring because. You set up a hundred spots. There's so much that can go wrong. You know, you have one mistake in your spots, and it can mess up the whole flow or the rest of your match. So I'd I'd, I'd rather improvise with that. But yeah, that that'd be about it. You know, two hours. That's how you pretty much test the ring. The only way to test the ring is to actually take bumps and run the ropes and uh, you know run into the turnbuckles and stuff. So, Lee, let me ask you, and I, I'm kind of like going backwards, but how does one, how does one get into the indie indie wrestling life? Like, so for you, how did you, how did you go out there? Like, was it a, did you see like a, a newspaper article or a flyer? Were you at the gym and some dude was just like, hey man, I like your size. Uh, you should come check out this show tonight. You know, like how. How do how does one you know uh, you know get into that or how did it work out for you? Well, there was a I lived in a, it's a little town in Georgia, and the next town over they were having an indie show at the at the community center. So I'm like, oh cool, it's wrestling. You know, hell, it's five bucks to get in. You know, well, I'm gonna go check it out. And I'm I'm sitting there. It's you know it's a decent show and. Yeah, and I just happened to be talking to one of the wrestlers at you know, during intermission. He's like, it's like, like pretty much like you say. He's like, man, you're a big guy. You're a big guy. So you ever thought about doing this? And I'm like, I've thought about it. I said, you know, but I can't. You know, it's thousands of dollars for some of these places to train you. And he said, well, I'm I'm the head trainer. You know, so you know, I, I you know, we can train you. He's like, if you can't afford it, it's a thing. You know, hey, we'll train you and. You know, you just work for free for a while until, you know, we feel like it's paid off or if you want to, you know, pay what you can. And that's how that worked. Like I said, I did two weeks and then I actually kind of got out of it for a while. 
And like I was telling you earlier, I worked in radio and I met Marty Janetti one day. I just sent him a message online. Hey, I hope you know, it was in Columbus, Georgia. That's where he's from. I was like, I host a sports show here. I was wondering if you'd want to come in and talk, you know, just tell your story. And he said, yeah, he comes in the studio and, you know, we do the interview and the sports director was a wrestling fan and we just start talking. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of working with this local company. We're doing so many shows a week. And he said, I'm supposed to be training some guys. And the production director is like, well, you know, Lee used to wrestle, but if he, you know, he could use some real training, he wants to get back into it. Maybe we can do some kind of a deal. So I actually got real training from Marty Janetti and it didn't cost me a penny because he did it, traded my training with the, with the radio station for free, uh, free advertising. And all I did was once a week, I gave an update on my training and he would come in every now and then and give a free interview. So I got, I literally got trained by Marty Janetti and it didn't cost me a penny. I got, I got paid. Yeah. And he, I'll still talk to him every now and then. And he, you see some of the stuff that he posts online and that that's just him. He's just, he's crazy. You know, <laughs> but, he, he, but he's, he's also well, probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met, you know, real, real down to earth. But yeah, he's, that guy's nuts. You know, he's, he's like stone cold said, he's crazier than a squirrel turd, okay. nuttier than a squirrel turd, you know? Yeah. Marty's, yeah. uh, he's, definitely been uh in the news for a lot of interesting reasons but yeah oh man i mean the the, the biggest the biggest marty Janetti memory that i'll always have you know growing up is the breakup between him and Shawn michaels uh the kick heard around the world you know uh, yeah but that's that's really cool so so let me let me ask you this since since we're in we're on the topic what was the training like like what did marty put you through what did you know was it was it, you know, were you inside the ring with him and he was walking you through everything or did he have another person, you know, in there with you and then he was calling all the shots? Like, what type of coaching was he giving you? No, it was 100% him him and me. Literally, it was like a personal training session. It was just me and him. And he'd bring in one of the other guys that was training to we could do kind of like practice matches. But him, it was more like uh cleaning up the bad habits that i learned over the years you know the the bad training i'd gotten years before you know it's like you know he he had me show him my bump and he's like that's not bad he said but try doing it like this and talk like attack the mat you know it's like instead of just falling literally throw yourself back and it's like you do it and you're like wow i mean it hurts. You hear that a lot in uh in a lot of uh oh you know the one thing that they always say is like the worst thing I ever took was a bump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know you know wrestling isn't real. It's you know it is you know the quotations fake you know, but it it does hurt. I mean you gotta you gotta realize you're you're falling on purpose. The human human nature is when you start to fall, is to make sure you don't. So, you know, that the hardest thing is learning how to bump. I, yeah, it probably took me a week 
just to learn to make my bumps look even you know remotely good you know taking a bump from a punch is a little bit harder than taking it from like a clothesline or you know a forearm off the ropes or something because with that you pretty much just let yourself fall and then the person you're working with kind of kind of guide you a little bit but taking it from a punch it is a it's a it's unnatural and you know you you hit that those boards and you know you you feel it through your through your bones and your shoulder and you feel it in your head because literally every time you take a bump you're essentially getting maybe a mini concussion but not bad where you know that's why you see a lot of these a lot of these guys end up you know with a little bit of the the brain damage from wrestling because you're constantly you know slapping your head because that's why they tell you to tuck your chin so you're not slamming your head and you're not slapping your brain onto the back of your skull i got you so yeah so it it, it can be brutal you know it's it's like uh I think stone cold was talking about it you know you got to get calloused to the to the bumps you gotta you know get get those calluses throughout your body so you're not constantly in pain makes a lot of sense you know and and and, you know obviously repetition you know is what what's going to get them get them there um was there was there ever a time where you got to a point where you're like you know what this is or let's let let's let's go let's go with this question instead when you were training and going through all this, was there ever a moment in time where you're just like, you know what, this is for somebody else, not me? Or were you completely into it where you're like, hey, this is cool and I'm learning it? Do you ever have a moment like that? Yeah, probably about, uh, I'd say the third day. You know, you wake up and you wake up in the morning and you can't get out of bed because you're so freaking sore. And that happened to me, like I said, probably the after the third morning, maybe after the second or third day, I'm, you know, I go to get out of bed and I'm like, oh shit, you know, I'm like, okay, this this hurts. Uh, I don't know if I can go through with this. And then you know, the worst part was I'm still having to work my regular job, which I was doing uh, lands, well, kind of like groundskeeping at the time, which is you know, ma- very manual labor. And I'm out there with a freaking rake. And every time I, I rake, I'm like, you know, gritting my teeth because, you know, my shoulders are hurting and, you know, my back hurts and my legs hurt. And, you know, like my fucking hair hurt, you know, <laughs> you know, every, every part of my body was in pain. And I'm sitting there for eight hours doing this. And now I got to drive, you know, 50 minutes into Columbus to go training for another two and three hours. And I'm like, this is brutal. It was very brutal. It was very, very grueling training. And I'm like, but after, you know, I'd say after the first week, I guess I maybe started developing those calluses because I'd slowly wake up in less and less pain the following morning. And then, you know, and after the second week, you know, everything was fine. And that's when they told they told me to start going out there and, you know, started to do shows. And so, yeah, I'd say probably 
for two or three days, I was like, no, fuck this shit. I'm not going tonight. I'm not going. I'm not going. And then I get off work and I drive right past the house going to Columbus to, to, to do another. Like, well, I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> that is cool. I love that story. Um, did, um, what would you say out of the training was the one where you're like, ah, fuck, here it comes. And I got to prepare myself. Like mentally you had to prepare yourself. Was it like, I mean, you know, we hear the stories of, uh, Rick Flair doing 500 standing squats a day, or I, I forget what he, what he was calling them, but was the training ever like that? Like, you know, was there a point where you knew it was coming and you're like, Mentally, you had to just take that extra step to be like, all right, let's get through this. Probably the day they had us just run the ropes and we're just running for, I think we got up to like 45 minutes to an hour at one point. And I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. And it's just straight running the ropes, running the ropes, running the ropes. And I go bounce off the ropes. I go running and I'm like, where'd that blood come from? Not realizing what it is when you hit the ropes, you cause, I guess you call them like raspberries on your shoulders from where you hit the rope because, you know, the cable expands. Well, as it throws you back off, the cable closes. And what does it do? It kind of pinched your skin a little bit. Okay. And I got the the raspberries so, so bad that it actually broke the skin. And I'm like, I, I don't realize I got blood running down my back. So that, that was the blood on the ring. And that day I, I was like, I was ready to quit then too. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, and I finally, you know, we stopped and I turned to the trainer. I said, can you tell me one thing? What the fuck does this have to do with wrestling? <laughs> he's, he's like, what do you mean? And I said, what does running the ropes for an hour have to do with wrestling? He's like, if you can run the ropes for, for an hour, you can wrestle in the ring for an hour. And I was like, who the fuck's going to pay me to wrestle for an hour? <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm just, and then I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm 300 pounds. There's not a fan out there that would believe I could go for an hour. <laughs> and he's just like, well, this is the way, this is the way I was taught. This is the way we did it. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> I'll like, go back I'll to just, running. <laughs> I was like, I'll just shut up. I was like, I was like, you want me to keep running? He's like, yeah, maybe you'll learn to shut the fuck up. <laughs> so I kept my mouth shut. I ran. It was probably another 20, 30 minutes. He's like, fine, we're done for the day. Well, then the worst part is, have you ever showered with an open wound and the water hits the cut? Oh, yeah. I go in the shower and that water hits my back and it was like, a million tiny needles in my back, all those little bitty, you know, cuts on my back. And it is just excruciating and, you know, trying to sleep that night. And yeah, that, that, that was some brutal shit. It's like the, you know, they don't quite go that hard these days. The other hard part was, was doing the, the flips kind of like, you know, I think they've showed it on, you know, tough enough and some of these other things doing the flips and having the to plant your feet the right way coming out of it, you know, cause again, I'm 300 pounds. I'm not designed for flipping. Right. 
So, but you still, you still have to do it. You still have to learn to do all that stuff. And, you know, it's not, it's not for everybody. You have to have a bit of a, somewhat of a passion for it. I think to go through basically getting your ass kicked every day for, you know, months at a time, you know, to get, to actually get real training. It's, it's funny you say that. So let me ask you, all that training, all that craziness, you know, running, you know, running the ropes and, you know, you questioning uh, life's choices at that time. <laughs> yeah. Um, was it all worth it the moment that you get into the ring and you have an amazing match with a guy? I say the, the day it became worth it was the night I wrestled Iron Sheik. Because up until that point, it had just been, you know, they said, you know, bingo. It was just, you know, high school gyms in front of, you know, sometimes sometimes there was more guys in the locker room than were sitting in the chairs. You know, you'd have 20 guys in the locker room and 15 people coming to watch you. You know, and then I get here, you know, in in the, 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 the big arena in Columbus with there wasn't a lot of people there, but I'd say there was maybe 500 people. But getting to go out, you know, to go out there and wrestle literally a legend like him, that was the day where I sat down and thought, you know what, it was worth it. If I, you know, if I never make it to WWE or WCW, I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't care if I ever make it, but this day getting to wrestle the Iron Sheik is one of the highlights of my life and I'll never forget it. And this was worth all that pain and all that suffering that I went through, you know, for those years and, you know, losing money. You know, that was that was the first show where I actually made money. That is really cool. It's like that. It's like that story. You know, you go through all these headaches, all these heartaches, all this, you know, blood, sweat and tears. And then you get to that moment where it's like, hey. You know, it, it, there's the payoff, you know, did, mm-hmm. did that push you any further in your career where you're like, you know, I, I, I'm ready to go after, uh, you know, someone else other than the Iron Sheik, like, you know, let's bring on, let's bring on Hulk Hogan. Did it, did it ever get to that point for you where you like, you were okay where you were at? Like, you know, let's, let's just keep this going. And did it ever change for you at that point? No, I was okay with where I was at. You know, I, I had met, you know, a lot of guys before I got into, into wrestling, really. You know, I had, I was able to get backstage to some shows in Columbus, you know, like night, like uh, thunder and, you know, we get thunder there, you know, four or five times a year. And I'd always get to go backstage, you know, you know, fill in as security, you know, kind of, you know, thing and bull- bullshit my way back there. And, you know, so I got, got to meet guys like that, but yeah, getting to do it local there, that was, that was all I wanted. I, I knew I was never good enough to, to make it in WWE, you know, to even have a shot at it. You know, I, I'd worked with guys who, who have been on TV you know, with WWE, you know, working as, you know, as extras or as a, as a jobber is what they say, you know, so that, that was cool for me to see these guys. I had a couple of guys, a couple of friends get, you know, tryouts with TNA, had a, 
actually had a guy that I worked with back, you know, you know, 15, 15 years ago, actually got a match with AEW on their, uh, on their YouTube show. So, you know, things like that, they, they were a lot better than I was. And I was never near, near good enough to do, to do that at all. So just, just the opportunity to meet guys like the Iron Sheik and, you know, got to, got to do a, like a, almost like a seminar with, with Jake the Snake Roberts one time and got to interview him on the radio. You know, that, there's, that's another guy that, you know, I think is a first class guy and 100% class act. And, you know, that guy, that guy should be a trainer somewhere because he's got so many so much in his head that he could teach guys, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jake, the snake Roberts promo. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, everybody else, you know, everybody here yells. And one thing, you know, he'd have guys come up and do promos and they're all yelling. He's like, why are you yelling? And the guy's like, I need to get my point across. And he told, he told us, he says, if you have a child, What's the best way to get your child's attention? Do you yell at them or do you speak real quiet? You speak quiet to get their attention. And then you slowly raise the volume. The further the conversation goes, then you've got their attention. And, and I, I kind of raised my hand. And I told him, say, hey, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. And I remember one of your promos. And he stopped me. He said, I know exactly the one you're talking about. The promo, he started out just moving his lips. Didn't say a word for 30 seconds. Just moved his lips. And the end of the promo was, he finally looks at the camera and he says, now the next time you think I can't control you, remember the damage you get off your couch, walk across the room and turn up the volume on your television. <laughs> so just the little subtle things like that and that's the way i started if i was doing a promo i wouldn't yell i'd sit there and talk just like we're talking now you know why why are you yelling are you are you pissed off at us for some reason you are you pissed off at the fans no you're talking to the fans so why the fuck are you yelling at us you yell when you're angry. Okay, so you're you're in a heated promo with your, you know, with your your enemy. That's when you yell. But when you're just sitting there talking, telling us, "Hey, this is what's going on." Don't yell at me. Just talk to me like I'm a real person. So little things like that, getting to meet him. You, know, I've, like I said I've met. You know, I worked shows with Tommy Rich. Worked an indie show with him. He's he's a he's a pretty nice guy. He doesn't. If you were to meet Tommy Rich Rich just walking down the street, you wouldn't realize that he was NWA champion because he doesn't seem like a wrestler. He doesn't come off doesn't. like that. Okay. No, no, he doesn't. And I've got I've got a few other stories like when I you know work you know working backstage with some of the Thunder shows, I got to meet a lot of the guys in WCW and. And I actually got kicked out of a strip club with the with the big show. <laughs> we'll definitely have to get that story. <laughs> yeah. Well, Columbus's strip clubs are 
they're shit. The the girls have to wear pasties on their nipples and they can't take their panties off. So it's really not much of a strip club. And and I'm just talking to him. This is when he was the giant. And he's like, well, you know, you have any good strip clubs here? And I was like, dude, there aren't any good strip clubs. You have to drive an hour to get to a decent strip club. He's like, well, I just want to go have a few drinks and see some, see some girls, even if they're half naked. I was like, well, there's one that's not in the shitty part of town. I guess we can go there. He's like, oh, cool. He says, what are you driving? I'm like, I'm driving a Saturn. <laughs> you know, it's a freaking Saturn sports car. I was like, my fat ass barely fits in it. There's no way you're going to fit. He's like, well, can you leave your car here and we can just, I'll drive. And I was like, okay, so let me just pull my car around to the employee parking. They know me here and you know, they're not going to bother it. So we get in this freaking Lincoln Continental, you know, this big old luxury car. And we pull up to the strip club and we go, we go in there and sit down. And, and of course, all the girls are coming to him. You know, he's the famous guy. And he's sitting there, his arm around the girls, feeling them up. And security comes over and says, sir, you need to stop touching the girls. And the girls are like, dude, it's fine. We're fine. You know, just leave us alone. You know, he's, you know, spending a fortune here. And after probably an hour, this one bouncer who's just got a chip on his shoulder comes over and says, I told you to leave the girls alone and grabs him by the shoulder. He says, get the fuck out. And just then he stands up and here's the security guard looking up at this guy. And <laughs> uh, she looks at him and says, what'd you say? He's like, uh, uh, you can't touch. Can, uh, can, can can you can you please leave? <laughs> and it's like you could just see the the guy goes from big old badass to little bitch in five seconds. Yeah, and, and he turns to me and says, "Yeah, this 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 place sucks. Let's get out of here." His entire <laughs> so, life flashed before his eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like you were saying. I was uh, second guessing my life choices. <laughs> I guarantee you, he was second second guessing his at that moment. <laughs> So he, he's like, well, is Hooters still open? I said, I guess so. Let's go there. So we go to Hooters, eat some wings, and, and all the Hooters girls, they're they're loving him. And, you know, their freaking manager, they're taking pictures. He's got a picture still hanging up there of him with all the Hooters girls. Oh, that is but too yeah, cool. That, yeah, so then we fast forward about 2002. Uh, I hadn't met my wife when, when this happened. Well, then about 2002, my wife and I – I won tickets to a show and a meet and greet. And that's where I got to meet Eddie Guerrero. Oh man. Well, and I had front row seats and we're sitting in the front row and the big show comes out and literally and stands in front of me. And I looked at him and I said, I said, you sure as hell didn't get better looking in your old age. And he looks down at me. He says, yeah, but I'm rich. <laughs> and, he, and he looks down at me and you can kind of see it in his eyes where the recognition, but he can't quite fit, fit, put it. I said, strip club. Oh, you're the one that get kicked out of the strip club here with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I told my wife the story. She thought I was full of shit. And, and she turned and says, you weren't lying. I said, nope. <laughs> so that, that got kind of come full circle. And I said, getting to meet Eddie Guerrero that night, that was, uh, that right there was one of my, my, you know, he was one of my favorites, you know, and I never got to meet him in WCW and getting to meet him. And then my wife is from Las Cruces. 
And I'm here in heaven meeting this one of my favorites. Him and my wife get to talking. He says, where are you from? You're, you're, you're not from here. And he says, I'm from Las Cruces. Oh, my neighbor. <laughs> and here they are for 15 minutes and they're talking. I'm on the side thinking, this is one of my favorite wrestlers. I win the meet and greet and I get to spend five seconds with him. And she gets to spend 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that is not crazy how it works out man it's just like oh, what the hell this was supposed to be my opportunity <laughs> someone exactly, stole the show from exactly. me <laughs> yeah yeah but i didn't really mind because i, I i'm standing next to eddie guerrero shit him and my wife are best friends now <laughs> But i think he, he'll he'll eddie, eddie will always be my number one favorite so much, so much. Show me, uh, me and my wife adopted a bunny rabbit a couple of years ago. And we named him Eddie. Oh, nice! Very cool. Yeah. So, speaking of favorite wrestlers, uh, we we always go through this. Uh, we always go through this. But give me your Mount Rushmore of uh, of wrestlers. That's I always find that hard. And the way I would always tell people is. It should go by eras, you know. It's I love like, that. You know, I love that. You know, I didn't. I didn't get to watch wrestling in the seventies that much, but if you go by like, okay, your eighties Mount Rushmore is super easy. It's Hulk Hogan, it's Ric Flair, it's Dusty Rhodes, and it's Andre the Giant. Excellent choices. You, the, you can't, you know, from the eighties. Who was better than those than those four? So then you go to the nineties, and that one's pretty easy. I think I would probably go Sting, Macho Man, Jake Roberts, and the fourth one is a little bit tougher, but I'd almost have to throw, I'd say probably Stone Cold for okay. the nineties. It's hard because you have Stone Cold and The Rock. Like, I look at it like, okay, if it wasn't for Stone Cold, I think wrestling probably would have, at least WWE, wouldn't have survived. He pushed. He pushed it. You know, a lot of people say Bret Hart, but my personal opinion, I think he's a little overrated. I don't think he was that good. You know, and and then again, it's hard because you have Shawn Michaels. Well, you could put Shawn Michaels in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands. I'd probably put him, you know, in the two thousands when he came back. I think he was better when he came back than he was in his first run. I agree. So I so I'd put him in the two thousands. I'd put him, uh, Jericho, easy choice. Chris Jericho, hundred percent. Kurt Angle, yes. and I, <laughs> yeah, and I. It, this one is hard for me because I want to put Chris Benoit so bad because he in the two thousands nobody I don't think was better in the ring, but his out of the ring stuff kills him. So I'd I'd have to probably look two thousands maybe Edge. Okay. 
And then, you know, the 2010s, and then it gets harder the further he goes. Like, we have the 2010s. Who was really big in the 2010s? I guess CM Punk, John <laughs> Cena. You know, yeah. I really, you know. I, like, CM Punk just, he's, oh, my God. But that, that's a whole different time and a whole different yeah. episode that we'll go through. But, um, yeah. I, so, yeah, for the, uh, <clears throat> I love how you say, you know, generational and, um, unfortunately, yeah, you do got to put him in there. He's, yeah. I mean, John Cena's in there. Absolutely. Uh, maybe Ray Mysterio would be 2010s. You know, as I said, it's work. It's hard. And it's like, and then it's hard not to put the Miz in there. You know, a lot of people don't like him, but you look at his longevity, you know, even today. Has that man ever been hurt? No. So how can you not add the Miz as one of the greatest? I mean, talking about like, I, I never. I, God, I get I get all flustered when I when yeah. I start talking the Miz with people. But you know, Miz came from a time where reality TV, right, was was huge. And he gets pushed in, and he flourishes. I mean, he yeah he he does really great. I mean, I would put him over Maven any day of the week. I'm not a Maven oh, God, fan. Yeah. Um, I like I I don't care for the dude. I never liked his character. I don't even like how he got into WWE and stuff like that. But. For the Miz to continue to just keep raising the bar, he didn't stay just like, "Oh, I'm I'm the real world wrestler." He, I mean, even now today in today's WWE, I mean, the dude is awesome. He lives by his gimmick. I I put him and Dolph Ziggler almost on the same level. (laughs) Dolph Ziggler, As, as many times as they have reinvented themselves. Who else is in WWE right now that you can look at and say, hey, we need you in a tag team. Hey, we need you in the opening match. Okay, we need you to go for the IC title or the U.S. title. Yeah, they're not okay, Swiss hey, Army knives. Uh, yeah, hey, okay, so this guy got hurt, so we need a quick program for a main event for a title match. Okay, you're going to be over here. Who else other than the Miz and Dolph Ziggler can you slide into the each one of those spots seamlessly yeah very true they're they're, they're the they're like the uh they're like the emergency you know how how people have those little emergency little cases you know break the glass that's it i love that yes that's that's an excellent view on that lee i I, love that and i i say that's kind of the same way with like uh ricky the dragon steamboat he was kind of the same way barry windham was the same way they were all believable no matter what they did being a job or being a world champion no matter what you, you believed it and i put them like i said Dolph ziggler and the miz are right up there with them you know it's funny we were having the conversation um a couple of weeks ago and we we're talking about wrestling studs that carried the ic title and made it 
what it what it is or you know what it was today i don't know wwe's kind of poo-pooing on the on the ic title granted you know gunta has it right now and he's doing a great job but it's not yeah bringing the ic title up like when you when you said uh ricky the dragon steamboat one of the greatest ic holders that i've ever watched razor ramon Another one, yeah. Ultimate Warrior, you know, and Ultimate Warrior is a short stint, and I, people are actually surprised because everybody knew how much I loved Ultimate Warrior, but they were completely surprised when I didn't put him in my Mount Rushmore because I was like, the dude just didn't have the time, you know, his... He didn't have the longevity. His, his you know, whatever his personal feelings were at the time or, you know, the money hungry, you know, all those stories that we hear, it... it he kind of caused himself to not getting where he should have got gotten to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the, the Mount Rushmore thing too, it's like, where do you put the undertaker? Oh my God. I know he, you would just think that undertaker would just be in every single generation. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so if, if you have like the ultimate Mount Rushmore, how is it not just original undertaker? American Badass Undertaker, uh, Phantom of the Opera Undertaker, you know, Ministry of Darkness, Ministry of Darkness Undertaker. You can literally just do your Mount Rushmore as all the incarnations of the Undertaker. <laughs> he has his own, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my God, that's too funny, and that, yeah, it, it's and so true. Yeah, did, have you? Did you ever get to see his entrance live? Yes. Oh, we got to see him third row at a SmackDown taping once, and where you know we're we're right there by the steps where he you know does the arm raise, and literally the minute his gong hits when you're live, the hairs on your arms stand up. You get the goosebumps, and to just be there, you're you're engulfed with the fog you know, with him and just looking up. And it's like that right there is a moment that's burned in the back of your brain to see him live that close. And, you know, I got, I got to go to WrestleMania in Atlanta and got to see, got to see his WrestleMania entrance. And, you know, I'm up in the nosebleeds and still you get the goosebumps. There's not many guys who that first tone of their music hits. And it's immediate. I mean, I got goosebumps now just talking about it. <laughs> you know, it's just that the first beat of that music hits. Who else gives you goosebumps just there in person? You know, I saw seeing Hulk Hogan live. It didn't do that to me. You know, seeing the Road Warriors live and Sting, the only one that ever gave me goosebumps, seeing seeing just their entrance is The Undertaker. And, you know, it's like if you if somebody if you were to ask me who's who's the greatest wrestler of all time, it's like you want it's talking about, you know, you're talking about wrestler or performer. You know, if it's in ring, it's Ric Flair or Shawn Michaels. But as far as the character and the performer, you can't beat The Undertaker. You can. And 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 talking about someone who stayed kayfabe their entire career. Oh, yes. Like. How do you do that for so many years? I mean, what was he in wrestling for? Thirty years? Yeah. Wow. I mean, all the all those years, you know, 
to not be able to attend the hall of fame in the crowd and have to be backstage, you know, that, and like you said, no interviews, all of, all of his interviews are in character until the day he retires. That's special. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's absolutely hundred percent special. And, you know, he's, He's he's the greatest. He's you know big. I think he's bigger than Hogan. You know the the greatest attraction. I guess you could call it. You know is the Undertaker hands down. It's uh it's funny that uh I got excited when you uh when you mentioned Kurt Angle in your Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Um, my cousin Flo. He's you know he's younger, but I mean he was. He watched WWE because he fell in love with the Hardy Boys. And then when the transition happened, he was all in on TNA. Well, it's funny because I would tell him about Kurt Angle all the time. And he'd be like, hey, whatever. Like, you know, I don't I don't know anything about this dude. And then Kurt Angle's videos are popping up. And he's seeing them. And he's just sitting there. And he's just like, dude, what the fuck? Like... How did I not did see I all this? I'm like, that's what I was telling you. I was like, <laughs> nobody, like, everybody hated on Kurt Angle. I, I think I was the one fan sitting out there, you know, still, you know, like, uh, you know, telling everybody, you know, the, you know, the three eyes and, you know, like, yeah. you know, all, all these great things that he came up with. I mean, Kurt Angle was a once in a lifetime thing, like, deal where he just got it. Like, no matter. Yeah he didn't have any, you know, like history of the road shows and, you know, building up and, you know, going through the training, going through the bumps and bruises, the, you know, all the trials that, that, uh, that a wrestler goes through. He just, it, it, it was just lightning in a bottle, man. It was, it was the perfect timing. And I mean, he fucking took it and ran with it. Yeah. I think he had said, he said it himself, you know, as an amateur wrestler, it's ingrained into the into your into your brain not to get let yourself get taken down. It's the complete opposite with pro wrestling, where you need to treat teach your brain you need to go down. And for him, I I think even Bruce Pritchard and Tom Pritchard have said it. The way he took to it was you know being able to just attack the mat and do the back bumps. You know, amateur wrestlers are some of the hardest ones to train in pro wrestling. And, you know, him, Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin, these guys, they just took to it like a duck to water. And it was just, they were naturals. <clears throat> you know, Kurt, Kurt's definitely one of the best ever. He's got to be. Who would have even thought that the uh, the promos and the mic skills, and I mean, just walking around acting like a dumbass, would yeah. be so iconic? I mean, he was yeah. he was the king of it. The, the, the promos between him and Edge, next level. Talking about yeah. comedy gold, man, for wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It's great, you know. And that it, it's one of the things with having been in wrestling, now watching it. I'll, I'll be sitting there telling my wife, I say, like, Ooh, they screwed that up. Yeah. Like, how do you know? I was like, Oh, just watch, watch the replay. Look at that. Oh, you know, he, yeah, he landed bad. Oh man. That, that was horrible. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, that that's, that's the hardest part for me these days is even today 
I'll sit there and watch it. It's like, ooh, yeah, that wasn't supposed to happen. And it's like it's like last night, and she's like, you know, when when Brock hits the turnbuckle, she's like, ooh, that was hard way. I said, now if you watch real close, you'll see him put his hand up to his forehead. He said he, he had some, he had something to 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 bleed himself. He says, but it looked real enough where he'll be able to get get away with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, it's it's like the the Bret Hart Roddy Piper match at WrestleMania eight, I believe it was, when you know, yeah, oh they they believe that Bret got cut open the hard way, and I go and watch it now, and I was like, no, there it is. You can see he's got his forefinger and his thumb closed. There's the, there's the razor blade. <laughs> it's like all the all these years later and like you were talking about the marty janetti and the the barber shop i was like i was like well, watch it back real close and you look at marty's right hand you'll see his thumb and his forefinger and his forefinger are pinched together he's holding the fucking blade in his hand <laughs> and i'm like all this stuff i never would have you know i never noticed any of that stuff until after i got I started doing it myself and the little things like that, that you'll see, I was like, yep. Yeah, okay. You know, and you know, probably the one thing that drives me nuts is when you can hear them talking on the camera. I'm like, dude, whisper. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, that drives me nuts. It was like, I think it was, I think it was at WrestleMania and you could hear Kevin Owens talking to the Usos. I'm like, dude, you're better than that. Come on. But that, that, that's that, that's probably that's probably the, the the biggest curse to having been in wrestling is you know being able to see those little nuances you know so it's it's you know I, I, I still I wouldn't give it up for anything. We um we talked about that a lot. We saw that a lot with AEW. Um, uh, one of the other issues with AEW is just. These damn uh, like every every match John Moxley is in, he's got to be bleeding, and I'm like, dude, why? Like, I'm I'm, uh, no. so, I'm so sick of your blood. Like, I want I'm actually cheering for you to keep it in your body now. Like, yeah, it's uh, it's like look at last night, okay, when Brock gets busted open. That was a great moment because it doesn't happen in WWE. You know, you shouldn't be bleeding in every single match. Exactly. You know, save it. You know, once once or twice a year, it's different if you're doing the house show loop and you're doing different a different crowd every night. Okay, that's fine, but not every week on TV. And I think it's gotten to the point where he's not even trying to bleed. It's like, he's blading every freaking night to where it doesn't have a chance to scab over and it just reopens back up every fucking Wednesday on TV. Exactly. You know, I, it, it, yeah, I hate that. I, I really do. Blood should be special. You know, save it for the cage matches, save it for the, you know, the hardcore matches or the street fights, you know, don't just bleed in every match. One of, I mean, Stone Cold has so many iconic matches. One of the matches was where he was bleeding. And how many times did he bleed after that? Can't even count on one hand. <laughs> how many times did he bleed before that? Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. You know, that was an iconic moment. And today, they'd be trying to recreate that at every pay-per-view. 
You can't. It was a special moment. Don't you, you, uh, you water it down when you do it every week. And I think that's why I don't mind having a part-time champion. Everybody's like, oh, you should be on TV every week. During the 80s, how often was Hulk Hogan on TV? Jeez. He'd be on Saturday night's main event, he'd be on the pay-per-views, and he'd maybe be on Superstars once every month or two. Right. Yeah. You had to pay. No, you, right. had, you had to pay. You had to pay to see the champion. I would it, say go back to that. It's it's funny you say that because I was starting to hear the comments about Roman Reigns. They're like, oh, well, he's not on TV. Why does he have to be? Yeah. You know, you're a champion. You know, it shouldn't be. You know, it's overexposed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even really in AEW now, MJF is kind of doing the same thing. He's not wrestling every week. And what does he say? You need to pay to see me. You need to pay to watch me wrestle. There you go. And the only way he's going to wrestle on TV is when he's forced to do it. It should be that way. He shouldn't be on TV wrestling every week. And even not even to have to be in the ring, just cutting a promo or something like that. You know what I mean? That that even yeah. makes it great. You know, you get a glimpse. You get to hear from them. All right, cool. And yeah. you move on and you give these other wrestlers the opportunity to... To shine, give them the opportunity to grow and get up to where, yeah. where they are. Yeah, and Roman doesn't have to be on every week to cut a promo either. Every other week or, you know, every three weeks, that's plenty for me. I'm totally with that, Lee. I love that, man. There's It's funny. God, there's a lot of conversations that we've been having recently. Like, yeah, I am. I'm totally loving what, what uh, like your vision on it and how you see it. That is really awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had so much, so much fun. I think I had more fun doing the indie shows than I did, you know, working with legends and stuff, because, you know, that's where I made lifelong friends. You know, and I actually had a guy, I'm, I'm still friends with him today. And he was another, he was another big guy. His name is, uh, I try to remember what his ring name was. I can't remember his ring name, but his, I call him his, I call him Coker. He's a, he's a, you know, one of my best friends where he, he was kind of like a sexy fat guy gimmick, but he was a heel. Okay. And, and he'd always come out and, you know, screw with me in one night somehow there were, for some reason, there were cupcakes in the locker room. And he comes out with his face covered in icing from the cupcake. And he's chasing me around the ring, trying to get the cupcake icing onto me. And it's like the little moments like that, that I, <laughs> I absolutely love. And as I never forget stuff like that, you know, and, uh, uh, Chick Donovan, I don't know if you remember him. He wrestled in the uh, old AWA. You know, he came in for a show and he, he asked, I'm refereeing his match. He says, says you here by yourself? I said, no, my wife's out there. Oh, where is she? And I point her out to him. He says, oh, she's a pretty lady. I was like, yes, yeah, she is. So I get in the ring. He comes out and he's slow dancing with my wife like he's romancing her. And he's looking up at me the whole time, smiling. I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah and you know I, i've got i've still got probably six or seven guys you know that 
you know, I haven't seen some of them in probably seven or eight years that I know if I were to call them today, they'd drop everything to, to help me out. And, you know, that's the, the brotherhood that we call it from the business. You know, I've got, you know, so many lifelong friends that, you know, that, that makes everything worth it. All the blood, all the, all the pain and the, you know, the losing money, you know, you spend 20 bucks to get to the show and you're lucky if you walk out of there with five, but it was, you know, the experiences and the lifelong friends and, you know, hell, I wouldn't have gotten to know you, you know, sitting there talking to you at Comic-Con for an hour. Exactly. Oh yeah. And like I said, such a blessing, you know, to, to be able to spend that time with you and your wife. Um, uh, You said Chick Donovan, Chick Donovan. I'm trying to remember if he had kind of like a like a rock and roll express haircut, right? And then this God, why do I remember purple trunks with like CD on the side of them? Kind of today, he's kind of got more like the Ric Flair look today, the bleach blonde hair. Okay, I am thinking of the right guy then. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean this guy's God. He's got to be in his 80s, maybe. This son of a bitch is still wrestling today. Oh my God. I mean, I, I, t- I told him, I said, dude, you're going to die in the ring. He's like, then I die happy. Oh, man. Perfect answer. Yeah. That, that's a guy that, uh, that lives and breathes wrestling. Yeah. Let me ask you, Lee, real quick before, before time gets to us, but did you get to see Ric Flair's last match? Yes, I did. Okay. Could I, could I get like your, your thoughts on it? How are you feeling when you were watching that? Sad. Okay. It was very seeing him in the ring. At first, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, hey, Ric Flair. And then, you know, he's laying in the corner while uh, Andrade or whatever is in the ring. And I'm like, Did he, is he dead? Because he's not, he's not moving. And I was like, is he breathing? You know, and they're keeping the camera away from him. I'm like, I think he just saw Ric Flair fucking die in the ring. And then, then he starts stirring. I was like, okay, like, keep him out. You know, he had his five, ten minutes in the ring. It's it's done. You know, let's get over with. And then he's, he's freaking jubilating. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is, it was hard to watch. It was really hard to watch. And then I'm like, okay, the match is winding down. And when the match is over, I'm like, I'm tearing up because I'm like, okay, let this be enough. And just looking at him, I just, I felt so sad inside, you know, it just, it shouldn't have happened. And I'm like, I dude, don't get married anymore. (laughs) You know, (laughs) stop getting married and you'll stop needing the money. You know, when you're, you're, you're paying five ex wives, give me a break. It's like it it kills his legacy. It really does. You don't see Jake Roberts in the wrestling anymore. You don't see Arn Anderson in their wrestling anymore. And you know, it's like Iron Sheik's not wrestling anymore. Just stop. Be the legend. Come make your appearances, sign your autographs, cash your check, and go. Stay out of the ring. I'm with you hundred percent. Me and Sal were sitting there watching it and I was just like you. 
I was like, oh, my God, this is great. If It gave me old-school wrestling vibes, and I'm like, this is fantastic. I'm all in. Let's go, baby. And, uh, yeah, it just didn't turn out like that. I was literally sitting there like you. I Like, I even kept telling Sal. I'm like, bro, is he dead? Like, what's going on? Like, I was even – like, Sal was just, like, sitting there in shock and, like like – the whole time like i'm like what is he doing like why is he like this even the moment that he came out and he was trying to get big goldie off of his waist yeah he, he just he looked like he wasn't there he couldn't even hold the belt up yeah exactly and what was crazy is that we were watching all these great videos of him and jay lethal training and i was like buying in i was like okay shit like he still got it like you know this could this could be a good thing and that's totally not what was put on the like when you watch the show did you hear about the shit that he said in one of his interviews about what he was doing prior to the to the match yeah he was drunk no see he was he was cutting weight oh yeah so he was completely dehydrated. Um, the the look on Undertaker's face said it all when he yeah like he was de- he was dehydrated and he was drunk because he 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 had to drink to thin his blood so he could use the blade so he could use a blade. Yeah, he had to thin his blood, and I'm like, dude, take three or four aspirin. You'll do the same thing without getting drunk. My thing uh, is, yeah. is why does this 70-year-old man or 60, 70, whatever age he, he is, why is he fucking cutting weight for a match that he should have only participated about five minutes of it? Yeah. That blew it my mind. Make, yeah, it did. And I was optimistic with Jeff Jarrett being in there. I was like, okay, Jeff Jarrett can carry Ric Flair. And it seemed like Ric Flair didn't want to, he wanted to carry the match. I'm like, you can't, you're not Ric Flair from, you know, even 20 years ago where you could carry a match. You're, you're not the young Ric Flair. You're, you know, you're still the nature boy, but you're not really anymore. Yeah. Just stop. Just stop, dude. Come on. Yeah. That was yeah. so, it would, yeah, it was so disheartening. And like I said, you know, you just feel sad inside and you're just like, what the hell? And I mean, even he even said that he tried going back to the locker room. He had a six pack of beer right next to him. Undertaker grabbed it and said, you're not drinking that until you finish these. And he handed him like three Gatorade bottles. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about looking out for each other. But the look on Undertaker's face said the whole thing. Like I even told Sal, I was like, bro, look at look at the expression. It's not yep. good. Yeah, everybody. Undertaker. Who else was there? Undertaker. Foley uh, was there. Mick. Yeah. Um, Ricky. Like Ricky the Dragon was there. They were all just in. I wouldn't say necessarily in shock, but they were just like you know, in disbelief. I think would might, might be the better term. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, granted that they showed up there to support him and everything, but I think even I I think they were probably in shock the way that we were the moment that they saw him you know, come out, it was probably like, oh, fuck, what are we in for? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, uh, ho- hopefully that's it. He doesn't try to do it again. You know that? He better not. You know, I don't, <laughs> no, I, not. I don't think his family would do it again. I honestly think 
you know, having, you know, just knowing the kind of person he is, I think if Conrad Tapp Thompson could go back and redo it, he wouldn't. I'm with you. I think, yeah, definitely. It For him to find a producer that would even be willing to go that route with him, I think... I, I I would like to think that all these producers would say like nah dude. Yeah, it's yeah. No no knowing what happened, yeah, it's, it wasn't pretty and it shouldn't it shouldn't have been done. It happened. Just don't do it again. I'm I'm with you. So we don't want to leave the podcast on a sad note, guys. That's not what nope. we do here. So Lee can you give us a fun story from your wrestling life um, that would uh, that would bring sm- that would that would lift the spirits right now? Let's let's raise the uh, let's raise the room a little bit. What do you what do you got, man? <laughs> God, I gotta think. Uh, how clean do we have to be? Uh, we are we are uh, you are very okay on whatever you want to say here on the on the Funkaholics oh, podcast. Oh. <laughs> God, we have a so we many. have a mature we have a mature rating. <laughs> uh, I guess there's a Marty Gen- there's a couple stories from Marty Janetti. There's one from uh, Ricky Morton that he told. Ricky Morton used to always. Uh, I think Jim Cornette's told the story where uh, I think it's the the Fantastics or the original Midnight's and. Uh, I don't remember who it was, but I think Bobby Bobby Eaton and I can't remember his tag partner at the time. One of the guys that they worked with was like a, was really homophobic, I guess, and really thought they were gay. <laughs> so they come up with this idea to prank the guy where, you know, I think Bobby would stand there with his trunk pants to his knees and his cock hanging out, getting it hard, where the other guy's on his knees in front of him, and it's like he's going to give him a blowjob. Oh and Cornette's my God. standing at the door <laughs> waiting for the guy. He says, okay, the guy's coming. And Bobby says, you know, you need to make it look real. You need to have your mouth open. <laughs> the guy turns the corner, and as he turns the corner, the guy has his mouth open, and, and freaking Bobby just jams his dick <laughs> down his throat. <laughs> oh my god! So it's like he he played a rib on both the guys at the same time. <laughs> Jeez, so I can just that say- one that 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 one's a good one. And then Mark, <laughs> yeah, talking about and taking Marty a Gennetti. joke to the next level, man, and being all in. <laughs> Yeah, that's, Literally, that's all in. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then uh, Marty tells me a story. Him and Sean, when they were the Midnight Rockers, bringing these two girls back to their hotel. And lights are off. They're going at it. He's going at it with this girl. And he hears a bump. Something falls onto the floor. And he said, it was whatever it was. It was big and it was hard because it made a loud thump on the floor. He said, what the fuck was that? And he goes to turn the light on. The girl says, no, no, don't turn the light on. He turns the light on. The girl had a prosthetic leg. And as he's fucking her, her leg fell off. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> now could you imagine could you imagine being that good in bed where you fuck your girl's leg off? <laughs> Jeez. I could just imagine the 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 guy's reaction in the locker room and that story. That's that's a legendary story. I'm sure that one's still probably being told to this day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my there's, god. Yeah, there, there, there's uh there's some stories that you, you you just can't tell, you know? It's like Yeah, there yeah, that one he told me he told me that and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's classic." <laughs> and it's like you're both you're both going to town and it's and their leg falls off. How <laughs> How how do you not feel it? I said, "How did you not feel it?" He's like he's like, "I don't know. I just didn't didn't feel it. It's the next day, you know, it fell off. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like even like I mean like 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 I don't know. I I I've got a morbid <laughs> sense of humor, so I could take this in so many different yeah. ways. But we'll uh, we'll keep it a little clean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> like, like, did you pick up the leg leg and use that? <laughs> Oh man, that is too funny. That is classic. Yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah, it, it, it was some fun times, man. It's life lifelong memories, you know. Oh man. Well, Lee, I don't know if uh, if you're gonna be okay with this, man. But I might put you a little bit in the hot seat right now. But um, we are getting to that time where. Uh, Time gets away from us when we talk about what we love, and that's what we do over here at the Funkaholics Podcast. We are the podcast that talks what they love, and we love us some Lee right now, man, some Keith uh, Fitzpatrick. We are loving the stories, the vibes, man. I'm telling you, I am a moth to a flame right now. It is ridiculous. Um, But... Would there be any way that we could get you on again and we make this like a part two or how we even make it a series, Lee? Because I'm sure there's a lot more that we got to talk, especially when it comes to wrestling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't mind it at all. You know, even if it's to talk about the current stuff, you know, I I love AEW. Like Orange Cassidy is my favorite wrestler right now. Oh, no. (laughs) Him him and me, me and my wife, I love me some Orange Cassidy. I He's enjoyable. He's entertaining. You know, I hate people who say, "Oh, comedy wrestling doesn't comedy doesn't belong in wrestling." And I'm like, "Have you never heard of Gorgeous George?" Right. (laughs) You know, Gorgeous George was a comedy wrestler, and they try to say, "Oh, comedy wasn't around back in the '80s." I was like, "Did you ever hear of George the Animal Steel? The Bushwhackers? Another great, more great." You know, there's always room for comedy and wrestling, and I just love it. And I say, you know, if he if he was such a negative to wrestling, did you see that tag match with him staying and Darby Allen together? I didn't see that one. I'm no I know Sal did. Sal Sal watches AEW religiously. And or unfortunately Orange Cassidy's not one of his favorite wrestlers. <laughs> Dude, Sting's doing the Orange Cassidy spots. Come on! Oh, I did see. A, I, I I saw like a small cut of that because I'll, yeah. I'll I'll keep an eye on AEW. Um, but yeah, I I do remember that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I just love it. I, I mean, I, honest to God, if you were to tell me, okay, you can either watch Raw or Dynamite, one or the other, I'm probably watching Dynamite. <laughs> wow. Okay. Right on, man. Yeah. I just, I love, I love it. And, 
like, so yeah, you want you want me to come back on anytime? Just let me know. You know, I I could probably you know smack my head around, come up with a few more stories. Very cool. I, we would love that, Lee. We would absolutely love that, man. We're definitely gonna make this into. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely get some more stories out there. And hey, we'll talk the we'll talk we'll talk the current status of wrestling because I know everybody loves to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. You said your 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 one buddy. He's a little bit more into the to the old school stuff, and you know. Hell, I'd love to come into the studio and uh, put a few welts on his chest and give him a couple of chops. <laughs> That's a story that we're definitely going to have to get on the next one. We need to make sure that we talk about that one. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll t- tell you who uh, who showed me how to throw a good throw a good chop these days. And was like, was like I can chop the shit out of him. <laughs> Actually, uh, is a, a, a quick story too. When I was working at the radio station, uh, we had a young kid who wanted at the time, I think PS PS four, I think it just come out or PS three. And he wanted one and he couldn't afford it. So we gave, we gave him a deal. So the, the uh, production manager is a sports director would buy him a PS4 or a, P, you know, a PS3. He said, I'll buy you a PS3. And he says, oh, what do I need to do? I was like, we're going to come live on the air and Lee's going to chop you five times. <laughs> you can make it through five chops without putting your hands up. You can yell, but you can't leave. You make it through five, you get a free PS3. Oh, hell yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. You Put his hands behind his back. I hit him once. The second time, he's you know cringing. The third time, he lets out a yell. He's like, you know, it's, it hurts. He's like, oh my, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I was like, dude, it's only two more. He's like, okay, okay. I hit him the fourth time, and he's like, okay, one more. He's like, he's crying. I was like, I can't do it. I can't. I can't do one more. And I'm like, dude, you're one more away from a from a pre free PlayStation. I can't do it. And he had, he pulled out. He couldn't make it one more to get a free PlayStation. <laughs> that was it. He's all that thing's not that important. <laughs> nope. That's why I, I, said, I, could have him, I could probably have him begging for mercy within five minutes. <laughs> I know he said he took, um, I can't remember if he did or not. I, if he was telling us, but, uh, God, what is her name? Did he take the chops, the free chops from Jamie Hader at Comic Con? Jamie Hader. I, I think he did take a chop from her. But here's the thing: was it bare chested or with the shirt on? I'm pretty sure it was with the shirt on. <laughs> See, that's that's different. <laughs> Doing it bare chested hurts a lot more. Oh, I bet there's a lot more sting on flesh on flesh, man. <laughs> oh, you got to get that slapping sound, flesh on flesh. <laughs> And then I can make it make it worse. Put a little bit of uh, hand sanitizer around my hand to enhance the slap. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> Those little tricks of the trade, man. <laughs> yep, yep. That's why you wait until you're into the match and all sweaty and nice and wet. That's when it sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Lee, I could pick your brain all day and talk with you on this, man. But unfortunately, no, time is getting away from us. So, is there anything that you want to leave the Funkaholics with right now? I mean, or do you do social media somewhere they can follow you? Well, I just got you know, I got my Facebook. I have my uh, there's a hockey hockey pad podcast that I 
I used to be on full time. Now I'm just kind of, you know, a couple of things, you know, life happens, you know, you gotta, you gotta move on. It was, uh, it was called 10 minute misconduct. It's just a minor league hockey podcast there on Facebook. Uh, hockey spotlight was another one that I did, you know, they're on Facebook and YouTube and, you know, that's about it. I'm not really super active on, uh, on social media. Like I used to be, you know, I don't, you know, I used to have, you know, when I wrestle, of course you have to have your, you know, your wrestling name, you, you know, Facebook page and all that. And, you know, I gave all that up, you know, 12, 10 years ago when I, when I was forced into retirement. I got you. Okay. Um, well, we do know the Funkaholics are going to be able to find you on here. So we'll definitely keep you in the loop and. We'll uh we'll make you a fellow funkaholic very soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean if if you want to if anybody wants to send me a friend request, you know it's Lee Marion on Facebook. I think my current uh, profile photo is my picture with uh, I believe with Sergeant Slaughter from uh, from Comic Con. You know that. So if you know if you want to send me a friend request, go ahead. You know I'll 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 accept it. You know I'm pretty lenient yeah i used to be one of these ones where if i don't know you i'm not accepting your friend request you know so i've kind of kind of gotten out of that because you know i you know if i see that they're mutual friends with somebody that i know i'll uh i'll accept it so yeah if you want to find find me on facebook that's uh that's where you'll find me so uh, you know i'll be there Right on, Lee. Well, we definitely appreciate that, guys. You heard it straight from the man, Lee Marion on Facebook. Give him a heads up. Let him know that you listened to the episode of the Funkaholics, and then you'll get that approval button hit. Um, I am your host, Nando T. This is all that we got for you today, guys. We are going to go ahead and close up the show, but we will be bringing Lee back in. And we're going to go ahead and leave you with... uh, Well, I'm just going to hit play. That's right, beat you and satisfy all the Hulkamaniacs. I'm going to get off by cranking your knob. Thank you, Hulk Hogan. How perfect from the story that Lee left us with. And there's going to be many more to come, guys. But that's all we got for you. We will be back very soon.